you uh, saw from Norm sent out a thing, must have been last week, with the uh, first time I'd ever seen uh, a man with a sling. Who's seen it? I can, I don't know how to send it. Oh, I can, I'll try and find it. But anyway, this guy had a sling and he was slinging a stone and a piece of steel, which was probably to the other end of the building away, and it was a big piece of steel. And there's absolutely no way in the world you can see the stone travelling through the air. And it hits this piece of steel, and it's just remarkable. Anyway, um, you might be able to talk to Norm about it, or if you want to see me about it, I'll see if I can find it. But I have thought a lot about um, the story of David and Goliath, and in particular, I want us to think about it. And if you turn to First Samuel chapter 17, I'll be looking at parts of this chapter. It's a long chapter with 58 verses in it, and so I'm not intending to read them all, but I want us to try and get a picture. But one of the glorious pictures that is is revealed in in this story is the fact that there are two representative men, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ went down, sent by his father to do battle with this giant in a valley with all of the enemies of God standing there behind their representative man. And it's a glorious picture of what happened on the the cross and it's a glorious picture of what was happening that particular night in Jerusalem and what would ensue as a result of the great and glorious victory that our great David won, the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. David is typified as a man after God's own heart, but he's also a shepherd boy and the promise of Ezekiel 34 about this great shepherd, which is what the Lord speaks of in John chapter 10. He says that I will set one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. David had died 450 years before this. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will make a covenant of peace and will cause evil beasts to cease out of the land. This book we have is a spiritual book and it's a spiritual book that's understand, understood in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a book that speaks of him everywhere and in First Samuel chapter 17 we have this glorious picture. So turn with me there and we'll look at some of the aspects of it. The children of God according to Luke chapter 1 and many other places are the recipients of the sure mercies of David. And here we have David pictured as the anointed one of God going down into battle. In verse 1 of chapter 17, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and they were gathered together at Shophole, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched there. Now, of course, what the Philistines represent in the scriptures is all the false religion and man puffed up in his false religion and standing opposed to the children of God. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley Elo in the battle and set in battle array against the Philistines. 
And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley in between. So here we have a picture of two armies that can see each other but in between the two of them is this valley. And down into this valley, verse 4, down into this valley came this enormous man. I should have brought a tape measure with me. He'd have to duck his head in parts of this building here. He would have to bend over to get through the door. He was an enormous man. He was over three metres tall. His height was six cubits. And so if you take the conservative measure of a cubit, it was 18 inches. And so he's nine and a half feet tall. He's over three metres tall. He's an enormous man. And he comes down into this valley. And he had all his armour on, verse 5, he had a helmet of brass and his coat was a coat of mail and the weight of the, weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. It was about 120 kilos, just his coat. And he had degrees of brass on his leg and a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Someone has said that it was uh, over seven metres long, the, the spear, and the head of the spear weighed nine kilos and he could throw it. He was enormous and he had one bearing a shield before him. And this is his cry. This is the cry of men who are saying to the children of Israel, you have no right to receive the promises of God. He's saying to the elect of Israel, you have no right. The battle is about the right to rule. And this is what he says. He stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out and set in, set in your battle in array? Am, I, am not I a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. It was all about the right to rule. That's exactly what Satan is doing and it's exactly what false religion, which the Philistines typify in this rule, isn't it? You know, who has the right to rule? Does man have the right to rule or does God have the right to rule? Whose promises prevail? This land was promised to these people by God Almighty. And the Philistine, verse 10, and said, I defy the armies of, this, of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then he goes on to talk. This went on, according to verse 16, for 60, for 40 days. And 40 days is a very significant number in the scriptures. It's a, a sign of the judgment of God. It's the 40 days of the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ when he went into battle with Satan. It was the 40 days that Moses spent on the mountain of God. So 40 days is an incredibly significant number. So we have two armies set in battle array. And he is calling, the Philistine is calling for a mediator, someone to represent all Israel. And amongst Saul and all the army, there's no one. As you might know from the previous chapter, Saul had the kingship taken from him and, and David was chosen to the shock of Samuel, to the horror of all of his brothers. He was just the shepherd's boy. They didn't even, when Samuel came 
to find the anointed king of Israel. David wasn't even in the room. It had all these other handsome, tall, strapping sons. And God says, not that one, not that one, he said to David. But David was the chosen one, and he was the anointed one of God, even though he remained at this time still a shepherd boy. And Desi, verse 17, Jesse said unto his son David, The father says to the son, you go down, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses to the, unto the captain of their thousands and look how thy brethren fare and take thy pledge. You go down. He was sent by the Father. He was sent by the Father with the bread of heaven for the brethren. Now, love, what verse 20 says of David, and it's the same as what was said of, of, of Abraham in Genesis 22, when he has an appointed task which seems enormous before him. And, and David rose up early in the morning and he left the sheep with the keeper. Who's the keeper? God's the keeper. God's the keeper. You can read about that in John chapter 10. And he went... As Jesse commanded him, all this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and him going into battle, which is exactly what happened that night that we're looking at in John chapter 13 and following. And David, verse 23, Behold, there came up a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name over the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke, according to the same words and David heard him and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid when we see power in the flesh of men we find ourselves like them don't we we are pictured in this story in so many ways aren't they and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him. And this is the promise that David received before the battle. He was sent by his father, but this is the king's promise, isn't it? I will enrich him with great riches, and I will give him his daughter. He will give him his daughter. And his father's house shall be free in Israel, free from taxes and free from service in the military. This is the king's promise to the victorious son, isn't it? What riches does the Lord Jesus Christ have? What glorious riches do we see because of the great battle he won? And he has the right to the king's daughter. All of God's children are the bride of Christ and the children of the king. And all of God's children are free. Free. We're free in what he has done for us. Go down to verse 28. And here we have the reaction of the flesh of men. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. And Eliab, the anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? You're not even a proper shepherd. You've only got this few sheep. 
And you've left him in the wilderness. And he says, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, for thou hast come down that thou mightest see the battle. And here's the great, the great answer of our great shepherd. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? There is just one cause. There is just one cause. He doesn't say this is one of the causes. He says this is a, this is, is there not a cause? And if God makes his cause your cause, you will be found rejoicing. What's the cause? If you turn down to verse 46, it says that at the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all of this assembly, all of the gathering of God's people shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And so Saul got to hear about that in verse 33. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Your servant, thy servant, slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them. See, he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David attributed all of his victory. You read with me in verse 37. David moreover said, The Lord that hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Now the lion, we know in scripture, is representative of Satan. He prowls around like a roaring lion. One of the remarkable things in that picture is that that lion had come and taken the lamb. But the lamb was taken out of the jaw of Satan by David. It's a glorious picture, isn't it? Of Satan's <coughs> rule and reign after over men in this world. He keeps he keeps his people in a palace, it says, and he keeps them in peace. He's keeping, preaching peace, peace to them all the time. And our great God comes and knocks down the door of that palace and says, I'm having mine out of there. And you can't do a thing about it. And he does it all on his own. And what's the bear pictured? And I don't have time, but you can go and see in Amos chapter 5. Verse 19 and in Isaiah 59 is that people in religion and the Philistines are a picture of false religion. And people in their self-righteous religion and the religion that makes them proud by day, but they can escape what they see as the wiles of Satan in this world. And they can turn by the power of their flesh 
from the sins that so easily entangle so many. And for those of us who live in this world, we wish in so many ways there was more of it. But what's the danger of the bear? The bear in Amos 5 and Isaiah 59 represents the law and the judgment of God. And people have escaped the lion and then been caught in the paws of the bear. They've escaped the line of outward immorality and have been caught by the bear. God's law is holy. What is acceptable to God is holy and just and good. The children of God need to be rescued by their great David, both out of Satan's wiles, and they need to be rescued by God out of their sense that their legal righteousness brings them some merit with God, that somehow they get closer to God. And so they escape Satan and end up being entangled by the bear. But David smote both of them, and David rescued his sheep out of both of them. And he attributes all of it to the Lord, verse 37, the Lord delivered me out of the pillar of the, the lion and out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul, in those next five or six verses, Saul wants David to be, to be arrayed in his armour. Now he had already been rejected as the king of Israel by God, even though he was still the king in the eyes of men. But David says in verse 39, he put all his armour on and he essayed to go before he had not proved it. And he, David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. I've not proved them. What had David proved? The faithfulness of God. What had David proved? The word of God. He doesn't need to do battle with the arm of flesh. He doesn't need... If God's protecting him, he doesn't need the arm of Saul's puffed-up flesh. And so David, verse 40, and this is the glorious part of this story, isn't it? And David took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, he saw David and disdained him. What did the religious world think of the Lord Jesus Christ when they saw him? He's nothing. He's just not. He's just a carpenter. They sent their representatives up from Jerusalem at the very beginning of his ministry to examine John the Baptist and to examine the Lord Jesus Christ. Went home, nothing there. Herod set him at naught. False religion and the fillers, the people of this world, disdain the Lord Jesus Christ because he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. He didn't even look like a warrior. You could probably say he was a sissy looking boy, but he was good looking. He didn't look anything like Anything like the warrior. And the Philistine said unto David, verse 43, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. These are these two representative mans doing this battle in the valley, aren't they? And the Philistine said unto David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that, and this is the reason, this is the reason for all of this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That is the cause. And the battle, we encounter many battles in this world, but our battle's not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in heavenly places. We do battle, and our weapons are mighty weapons, aren't they? He says, I can just read these verses to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not what is seen to be powerful by the people of this world. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of of God. Goliath was a high thing, and out of that high thing, and out of that proud mouth came all of these boastful words. We cast down these imaginations, and that's where images come from, all the ugliness of images. I lived with images in India for five years and more, and you got so tired of the ugliness of there wasn't a one single pretty one, they're all ugly, and you couldn't do trade, you couldn't have a coin, you couldn't go into a shop without seeing, you couldn't travel on the roads and they were everywhere. That's where these imaginations come from, isn't it? And everything that exalts, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What a glorious scripture. What a glorious prayer to pray. Would you do that to my mind, God? Would you cause those images to be cast down and would you take my thoughts and make them captive to Christ? Let's go on in our story. He says, verse 47, there are, these are the reasons, aren't there? There is a cause that all the earth may know that there is a God, verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord, the Lord's, and he will give you. And it came to pass that when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, David hasted and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. 
The Lord Jesus Christ came into this place, didn't he? He came sent by the Father. He came with the bread of heaven. He came with the news and the glory of the gospel. He came to do battle on our behalf for all of the enemies, which were too big for us, way, way too big for us. And he says, it says that he set his face like a flint. These nights we're reading about towards the end of John's Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ triumphantly goes into Jerusalem, arrives in there as a king. He rules and triumphantly goes. He ran towards the army. Verse 49, David put his hand into his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. What a glorious, glorious picture of our great Lord Jesus Christ. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. Where had all the blasphemies come from? Out of the head and out of the mouth of this great Philistine giant. And he was wounded in that place and Satan was wounded. Wounded by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and the proudest being of this universe, one who is too and far, way, way too mighty for us, was defeated. Listen to what the scriptures say about the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Colossians chapter 2, it said, You being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What a triumph. What a glorious victory our Lord Jesus Christ won. David stood upon the Philistine, verse 51, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they had come to the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell by the way until Shaarim even unto Gath, unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned after chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armour in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, this is the great question, isn't it? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? Verse 56, and the king said, inquire thou, whose son, whose son is he? Verse 58, and Saul said unto him, whose son art thou? It's a great question, isn't it? Whose son is the Lord Jesus Christ? 
whose son is he? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse. So just in the few minutes we have left, there is a great challenge issue and issued, isn't it? Does God have the right to rule and does and are his promises to be fulfilled? And are what he has promised to give his people going to be achieved by him? There is a challenge in this world, isn't it? Do you have the right to possess what God has given you? Do you have the right to own the promises that God has made for us? Goliath pictures man puffed up in his flesh like the Pharisees and the religious rules in, Jew, in, Jew, in Jerusalem. Like Goliath, they rule by fear and they rule by the power of man's flesh. And the children of the devil gathered that Passover, that last Passover night. And the big question was, who has the right to rule? Who has the right to rule on God's behalf? I want us to notice some things about the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here. Before the battle, David was anointed king by God. He was anointed king. It was an anointed king that came. And he was anointed king by God because the people's king has failed. David, before his anointing, was a shepherd boy. The Lord Jesus Christ was a shepherd before his anointing. He has a sheep, a flock of sheep, the bride that the father had given him. David, like our Lord Jesus Christ, was sent down by his father into the valley to do battle with the enemies of all God's people. And David comes in that battle to be the representative. Who wins takes everything. Who wins rules. David went down as a representative for God. David went down because the honour of God's name was at stake. There is a cause, brothers and sisters. If our cause is the cause of the glory of God, God will bring us into many battles in this world. And he'll keep reminding us that the battle is his and he will win it. And we don't have to fight with carnal weapons. Also, remember that when David went down and sent down to the war, the war had already begun and the war had been in action for some considerable time. And there has been a war in this world, hasn't there, between what appears to be the power of Satan and the power of Almighty God. Goliath didn't have a chance, did he? Did Goliath have a chance in that battle? People who stand opposed to God lose 100% of the time, always. So all the hope of the Philistines was just in this giant of a man. And what did you see? You can see through the eyes of flesh. You can see power. You can see man exalted and boastful, puffed up Goliath is like puffed up man in this world until the Lord deals with him and brings him down. Who can stand? That's what the people of God find themselves, the situation the people of God find themselves in so often, don't they? Who can stand against someone so mighty? 
Who can stand against someone so exalted? Who can stand against someone whose words are so boastful and so proud? Who are you, Church of God? Who are you, children of God, against so great a foe, against so powerful a foe, against so numerous a foe? Who are you so weak, so insignificant, so vulnerable against such power and influence and ability? Well, we don't stand in ourselves, brothers and sisters. We stand in our glorious and great conqueror. Who gets the glory and the victory? Who gets all the glory for all of the victory? God gets all the glory. God always gets all the glory. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things to confound the mighty. God gets all gets the most glory when he wins the victory. When the means seem so weak and so pathetic and the instruments seem so frail. And the reason is simple, isn't it? That no flesh will glory in the presence of God. How does God bring down the strong man? Through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just do love Romans 1.16. It's the power of God. If we understood what that meant, we'd be amazed, wouldn't it? It's the dynamite of God. It's the gospel. It's the power of God. Preaching him. Preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching him and not my activities. Preaching him in his glory. Preaching him in his deeds. Preaching him in his holiness. Preaching him in his obedience. He cast down the strong man. Giants are slain as they seek to do battle in their pride and arrogance against the children of God. David's victory won him the admiration and the love of the people. David was willing to die for the glory of God and for the cause of God. And David became famous because of his victory. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for the church. What love the Lord has for us. His love for his bride is an extravagant love, isn't it? It's a love where he's prepared to do everything for us in sacrifice, everything for us in victory over all of our enemies so that he can have the king's bride, that he'll have the riches promised by the king. What an inheritance we have. We are about to inherit a universe. We are joint heirs of he who has a universe. What does it matter about the things of this earth? What does it matter about the pride of men and the so-called power of men in this world? What a great victory our great King has won for us. How wonderful it is for us to be able to proclaim a gospel that declares again and again that in all of the battles that you have, he reigns supremely. And he reigns alone. 
just as the Lord Jesus Christ washed those disciples' feet alone, just as he alone prayed in Gethsemane's garden, just as he alone was mocked, just as he alone was crucified. He does it all, and he does it all as a representative, and he does it all as an us. And he reigns over enemies of us that are too big. We have things that stand opposed to us which are way, way too big for us. You owe the law of God perfect holiness, perfect obedience. David slew both the lion and the bear. The Lord Jesus Christ was made a curse for us. He bore the curse of God's holy wrath and his broken law in all in his body. And he bore that with me crucified with him. Through the law I am dead to the law. All the debt I owe to God's law. That's what the, the other reward for the kings, for the one who slays the giant, wasn't it? He has the king's freedom. What an enemy our sin is. What an enemy the sin that we are is. What an enemy the sin that we do because of what we are is. What an enemy we have in this world, our flesh. The spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? A wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body? The Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory. Thanks be to God. This world continually entices us with the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of our eyes, as First John chapter says, chapter one, two says, the lust of our flesh. How much our flesh continually wants to live in pleasure in this world all the time. The lust of our eyes. Our need to have the approval of others all the time and the lust and the pride of life, my ability, my ability to do and to face my enemies by myself. What overcomes the world? What overcomes my flesh in the world? Faith. Faith. The faithful one and faith in him. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to undo the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Our great David went down into a valley and did battle against all of our enemies and reigned victorious and has in his hand as his rightful possession all of the king's promises king's daughter to be his, the freedom of all of him, his family, the glorious inheritance one. 
you, I trust and pray, might go and spend more time studying that. And as you look for the Lord Jesus Christ and look for him on the cross and look for him victorious, you might find yourself rejoicing even more in the glories of our great God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your words and bless them to the hearts of your people and that we would have our eyes turned again and again and again away from ourselves and away from this world and have our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that he's declared to be the author and the finisher of faith. Oh, Father, help us to enter into something of what it was for the joy that was set before him, for him to go to the cross, to do battle on our behalf, to do battle as sent by you, our Father. Oh, our Father, we pray that you would allow us to feast on the bread of heaven, to find ourselves washed in the blood of your dear and precious Son, enrobed in his glorious righteousness and that we might walk before this world knowing that there is a cause the glory of our great God and Saviour the good of his people Father allow us to wash one another's feet with the gospel of the glory of your dear and precious Son again 